Good morning, everyone. Good to see you again this morning. All right, let's take our Bible and turn to the book of Psalm 119. And while you are there, I would like you to turn to the book of Romans, chapter 15 as well. We'll look at Romans 15 to begin while we do our review from our, uh, our lesson last week. All right, we're going to pray together and then we'll get into our lesson. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for uh, the treasure that you've given to us in your word. Lord, I pray uh, the fact is that this uh, scripture, Lord, is a treasure. It is something of great value. Um, whether uh, mankind understands that or believes that or not, and it is uh, a treasure that people have uh, died for, and and it is unique among all the books of the of the world of all the information, all the knowledge. Thank you for giving it to us, Lord. I pray that you would help us to esteem it as a treasure, as the treasure that it is. Lord, as we study today, we, I commit this time to you, this uh, lesson, uh, these words, uh, the, the truths that we'll study. I pray that you, through the Spirit of God, would speak to each one of us, and myself included, and would guide us in your will and would guide us in your way. I pray that you'd give us understanding. I pray that you would um, just uh, kind of prod and probe into our hearts to see what's there and to give us a true delight in your word. Thank you for everyone that's here and everyone that is that can't be here but is listening. Uh, Lord, thank you for each one. Thank you for them making the effort and... Uh, putting you first to, uh, to seek you before other uh, important matters. Thank you for that. Thank you for how you're working in each person's life here in the class, but also in other classes and in our church. Please continue to do your work through us and in us and that you'd help us to fulfill the mission that you've given to us. So we commit this time to you once again in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we talked about, uh, we started talking about the idea of meditating and delighting in God's Word. Now I've decided to go through uh, these truths because they appear together in Psalm 119. And uh, for instance, if you, uh, well I'll just read these because I told you to turn to, to Romans chapter 15, but just as, a, as an example, when you look at Psalm 119, verse, verses 14 through 16, you see the fact of taking joy and delight in God's Word mixed with the idea of meditation. It says this, I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. And then in verse 23 and 24, they, have, they occur together. Princes also did visit, did sit and speak against me, but thy servant did meditate in thy statutes. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselor. So just as an example, 
the idea of meditating in God's Word and delighting in God's Word go, go hand in hand. So, just as a way of review, who can tell me what the word meditate means as we studied it in the Scripture? What does the word meditate? All right, let me say this before you get to that. What does meditate not mean? All right, how about that? We can get started there. What does the word meditate not mean? Somebody, anybody. Yes, sir. It does not mean clearing your mind. It does not mean clearing your mind. Of course, that's the way, as, as I mentioned last week, that's the way it's viewed, viewed in, in uh, the meditative practices of uh, Buddhism, for instance. But what is meditation in God's Word? And that's a, is a key distinction. What, is, what does it mean to meditate in God's Word? Somebody, anybody, go in once. Are you again? Exactly. So, contrary to freeing your mind of all thought and putting it neutral, it is actually putting your mind in drive in a certain direction. That is, engaging your mind intentionally upon God's Word. So, that's what it means. We also talked about how that... The word meditate is also sometimes translated as speak, and that, that is the idea of, of speaking to ourselves, meditating on God's Word. Um, now, the reason I wanted you to turn to Romans chapter 15 is because I, I know that we've covered this principle at least two other times, but I, I still think it's so, so important. So let's look at Romans 15 once more. And kind of pick up there, overlap a little bit with our lesson last week. Romans 15, verse, let's look down at verse number 1. All right, 15, verse 1, the Bible says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor to, for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but, as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. Now, verse 4 is what I want to look at. <clears throat> for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Now, at, look, at, look at that verse again, and look at the word, Scriptures. Now, at the time that at, at the time in which Romans, the book of Romans, was written by Paul, God directed Paul to write Romans. The word Scriptures. What was Paul primarily referring to when he said Scriptures? Yes, ma'am. He was referring to the Old Testament Scriptures, because realize that the New Testament Scriptures had not yet been been completed. Okay, so, uh, and Paul had, this is written at a time, remember, Paul ended up in Rome, where history says that Paul was martyred in Rome. So he's writing to the Romans before he'd ever get, got, gotten to Rome. So this was written actually earlier on than books like Philippians, for instance. Philippians was written from Rome, or we assume to be written from Rome, all right? So Romans was written early on. So a lot of the books of 
the, uh, the New Testament had not even been done yet. So when, when we see the word Scripture, it's referring to the Old Testament. So here's the point I'm making. The Bible of Jesus Christ during His life on earth was the Old Testament Scriptures. The Bible of Paul was the Old Testament Scriptures. The Bible of Peter was the Old Testament Scriptures. The Bible of Barnabas was the Old Testament Scriptures. The Bible of everyone in the New Testament was primarily the Old Testament Scriptures. Now, we know the New Testament was being added as time passed during that that early period, but here's the thing I want you to understand. The Old Testament Scriptures, despite the fact that we are New Testament Christians, the Old Testament Scriptures do not are not on a place of lesser importance or value to us than the New Testament. Now, we understand that the Old Testament was written for primarily for the people of Israel, right? And so uh, many, many things in the Old Testament do not directly relate to us, that is, spoken directly to us. For instance, and this is, this is going to throw some of you off, but if you think about it and you study, you'll see that this is actually the case. When God gave what we call the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 and also found in Deuteronomy, God was speaking to Israel, not to me and not to you. That's just a matter of reading the Bible in context, right? When God spoke the Ten Commandments, He was speaking those commandments from the top of Mount Sinai to the people of Israel. And what we have in Exodus 20 is the record of that happening. Now, of course, we know what God said to Israel is reflective of His holiness and His, His, His nature, right? And His law. But in actual fact, God was speaking to a particular group of people at a particular time. That's the way we read the Old Testament. It's what's called, just for the, for the nerds, it's what's called the historical, grammatical method of interpretation. In other words, we don't just pull things out and say, well, this is what it means for us here now. No, we look at the context and we see who God is talking to and and we look at the whole, right? Okay, now why, why do I say this? As you probably recall from last week, we talked about the idea of meditating in God's Word, which occurs in Psalm 119 many times, but, but frequently in the Old Testament, the Bible will say that... Uh, we'll speak of meditating in God's works, W-O-R-K-S. Now, the only way to meditate in God's works is through His Word, okay? That because the works of God in history, the works of God in history are recorded for us in our time in the present by means of the Scriptures, right? All the things God did from creation, the flood, Abraham, down from through Moses, Mount Sinai, King David, all of the, you know, you think of all that God did in Israel, all the way through the Babylonian captivity and the return from captivity, all of those works of God are recorded only in the Scripture, okay? The Old Testament Scriptures. So we meditate, and so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make you see that there's a connection. By meditating on God's Word, you're meditating on His works. 
And by meditating on His works, you're meditating on what He has done and who He is. You see that? There's a, it's, a, it's a chain and it has links, right? And it's all connected. Now, if you were to come along and you were to say, well, the Old Testament is not for us, so I'm not going to bother reading it. Well, you just, cre- you just, you made a major, uh, you, you have, you have, uh, you have how's the, what's the right way to say it? You have made a major mistake in the way that you view the Bible, okay? Romans 15 verse 4 The word scriptures in that is referring to the Old Testament, which is the primary way we know of what God's work has been. Okay? Notice what it says. Written aforetime. That's in the past. That we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. And I mentioned this last week, but just as a a reiteration, those things that we read... Though they happened many years ago, they, happened, they, were, they were done by the same God. And so those things that God has done can benefit us in our day if we meditate on them. This is why we cannot just simply say, oh, we're New Testament Christians. We don't have to worry about the Old Testament. That's, you cannot do that. You cannot do that and be right in the Scripture and... And so it's important for us to do that, for, for us to remember that, that through the Scriptures, including the Old Testament, we have a record of God's works. And you know what? If you read, the, if you read some of the prayers of the, of the saints of the Old Testament and of the New Testament, you think of when uh, Peter and John were released from prison, Right? You think of Stephen before he was martyred in Acts chapter 7. What did they do? They prayed to God or they spoke of God in terms of what God had done in the Old Testament. And so those things informed their faith now. And this is why we have to know what the Bible says. We have to be Bible people, right? We have to be, we must be Bible people. Not necessarily theological people. You don't have to know the historical grammatical method of interpretation. You don't have to know that. But we do need to know the Bible. And that comes partially through meditation. All right. I just wanted to touch on that because it's an important, it's an important fact that connects our faith now with what God has done in the past. All right, let's look at, um, we'll hold your place in, in uh, Psalm 119 and look at Jeremiah chapter 6, if you would. Jeremiah chapter 6. I'm going to give you some contrast here a second. We've been talking about delighting in God's Word. And we mentioned how that meditating, when we delight in God's Word, whatever it is that we delight in, that thing in which we delight, is also the thing that we will put our mind in, put our mind on. That's the things that we'll be thinking about, right? So whatever we delight in is what we think about. 
Jeremiah chapter 6 gives a contrast to that. In verse number 10, notice what it says. Jeremiah, of course, speaking to the rebellious nation of Israel, uh, Judah. He says in verse 10, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. All right, stop right there. Jeremiah says of Judah that the word of the Lord is to them a reproach. So, did they like God's word? Right? Did they like what God had to say to them? I mean, you can look at, read the book of Jeremiah, which I actually just finished not too long ago. They did not like what Jeremiah had to say from God. They did not like it. So, their disposition toward God's word was very negative. All right? The next, the next phrase says this. They have no delight in it. So their disposition toward, toward what God said was, was, was negative to begin. And of course, that affected the fact that they had no, that affected their delight in God's word. They had no delight in that which was repulsive to them. Here's the, th here's the point I'm making that our response to God's Word, our response to God's Word will be determined by our disposition toward God's Word. If we have a life that is utterly and totally inconsistent and contrary to what God says, we're not going to find the light in His Word. His Word will be a reproach. It will be, it will be, it will be prickly and difficult to receive. And this is why, listen, and I, I, know I could give personal examples I want right now uh, that I've, I've heard and known of people that are, I'm talking about people who profess to be believers in Christ, all right, who are averse to the Bible. They use the Bible only as a tool for, to, to accomplish their ends, but when it really comes down to brass tacks and the, what the Scripture says, they really, the Bible is not, it really is a reproach to them. And so you know what they do? They avoid it. They have no delight in it whatsoever. The only delight they have is the way it makes them look if they carry it and thump it, right? But truly in their heart, there is no delight because they are averse and they are offended by what it says. So in that way, our willingness to follow what God says our disposition toward God's Word is going to determine whether we like God's Word or not. This is, listen, this is one reason why people have a hard time delighting in God's Word. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you, and we'll get to this in a minute, more, more of this in a minute. How do you change the way that you feel towards something, right? We think of feelings as something that happens to us, not something that we control, right? She said this, I feel angry, I feel upset, I feel offended, whatever. We think of our feelings as something that happens upon us rather than something we control. But that's not what the Scripture says about delighting in God's Word. But, okay, so say you and I are in a place where God's Word is not a delight to us. It's tolerated, it's... We read it because we know, we know we're supposed to, but it really isn't the delight. 
and the joy of our heart. What must we do to change our feelings? That's the principal question, right? So it's not drudgery. So it's not duty. It's joy. All right? Let's look at a couple more things. Um, in Psalm 119, look at verse number 16. I'll just mention a few of these just for time. Psalm 119, verse 16. I'll just read verse 16. I can give you other verses later. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. See that? Uh, now, I'm not covering this as a major theme of Psalm 119, but the, what you see over and over as you read it is the word forget. That the psalmist, in at least 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, look at the last verse of the psalm. Last verse of Psalm 119, verse 176. It says this, I have gone astray as a, like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I do not forget thy commandments. Now we're talking about delighting in God's word, meditating in God's word. I just want to set forth this principle while we're here. Remembering what God says is very important for a Christian. And forgetting what God says is one of the chief causes for our sin. Oftentimes, we forget what God says momentarily. At that moment of temptation, we forget what God says because our mind is not engaged in what He says because we've been neglecting what He says in His Word. And so in that moment of temptation, we forget. It's not that we don't know it. It's at that moment we forgot. And at that moment is when we slip up so there's a, a connection between forgetting what God says and sinning. Look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, if you would. So we're going to a lot of verses. Well, that's okay. Remember, if you're going to be an expert in the Bible, you've got to look at the verses. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 9. It says this. We'll look at a couple of verses in the New Testament after this. Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. Listen to what God says to Israel through Moses here. He says this, Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons, especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said, uh, Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them to hear my word, make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the, all the days that they shall live upon the earth, and that they may teach their children. What is, all right, again, going back to the context, what is the context of this? Moses is speaking to Israel. What had they seen? Right before they went into the promised land, what had these people seen? 
They had seen the works of God in miraculous and marvelous ways, supernatural ways. They had seen God speak to them from a cloudy pillar on top of a mountain that was burning with fire. They had heard His audible voice. They had seen all the fantastic ways that God had provided for them. Their parents and even these, some of these people when they were younger had seen God part the Red Sea and destroy the Egyptian army that was pursuing them. They had seen how that God uh, sent uh, the angel through the, uh, the um, land of Egypt to kill all the firstborn, but the children of Israel were, the firstborn of Israel were kept alive through the blood of the, of the Passover lamb. They had seen all that God had done. And yet still God says, don't forget. Don't forget. So it's not that they didn't know. It's that we forget what we know. Right? Look at for, uh, 2 Peter, if you would. 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, verse number 12. Notice the number of times he says this. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. Look at chapter 3, verse number 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. So church is not always about giving you new information. In fact, it's rarely about that. Church is often about coming together to be reminded of what you know. Now, that's where meditation comes in. Because when you and I engage our mind in, in God's Word, that is, we read it, but then when we're not reading it, we're engaging our mind on what it says we are remembering what God says. And we are, we are protecting ourselves from the pitfall of forgetfulness, which leads to sin. Forgetfulness will cause you to sin. Remember that. Forgetfulness will cause you to sin. The Lord expects us to remember what He says. Look at Psalm 119 and verse 20, if you would. Verse 20 says this. Verse 20 and verse 40. He says, My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy commandments at all times. Verse 40. Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. Verse 131 says this. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a place in your life 
through a set of circumstances that you were unable to read the scripture for an extended period of time? Like normally you read your Bible every day, but maybe, maybe because of an illness or because of some sort of circumstance, something happened, you got to a point where you could not, you, your Bible wasn't near you or you weren't able to read it for an extended period of time. Has anybody ever experienced that? You go in the hospital, sometimes you, you know, you just, you can't focus enough to, do, to, to read the Bible. I'll give you one example. When I was in the Marine Corps, I went to uh, a sergeant's course in Missouri for two weeks, and I forgot my Bible. And that was in the days when I didn't have cell phone with the Bible on it and all that. I think we were using flip phones at that point, probably 2006 or something. We didn't have the Bible in the flip phone. I didn't anyway. But I had forgotten my Bible. Interesting story with that, but there was a chaplain there. Um, <laughs> you know, with, not to brag at all. It's not a statement of how spiritual I am for sure, but how unspiritual this chaplain was. But anyhow, uh, I, had to, I, I asked him if he could get me a Bible, but it took him several days to do it. So by the time, I mean, a, a, quite a while had passed before I was able to get one. And I remember... Just, I remember feeling like just out of sorts, just really, I remember feeling this longing, right, that we're talking about here, this longing for God. Because longing comes when you, when you do without something, right? That's where the longing comes in. Have you ever done without God's word and you felt that longing? That's the way I felt in, that, when, in Missouri. And when I finally got that Bible, I was so happy because but the sad thing is, is that I didn't feel like that all the time. But sometimes the Lord puts us in situations like that to remind us that you, if you are a child of God, there is a part of you that needs God's word like your human body needs food. And without it, you start panting, <laughs> just, like a, just like we do with water or food. We start longing for it. You know what? That's a really good sign. You know, that's a really good evidence of a spiritual nature in you, that longing. The psalmist had that. And sometimes we, we're put in circumstances where that happens. Now, as our last, the, 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 one of the last things I want to cover in Psalm 119 uh, on this subject of delight and meditation, meditation in God's Word. Look at verse 14, if you would. Psalm 119, verse 14. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. Notice the rejoicing. As much as in all riches. Look at verse 72. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Notice the word better. Verse 103 says this, How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Notice the sweeter, the comparison. Verse 127, 
Therefore, I love thy commandments above gold. Yea, above fine gold. Notice, above. Again, a comparison. 162, if you would. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. Look at, since you're in Psalms, look at Psalm number 19. This is going to be a little bit more familiar to you, I'm sure. Psalm 19, verse 10. Psalm 19, verse 10. What does it say? Speaking of the law of God, the word of God, it says this, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Six times that we've read together where the psalmist compares his delight and desire for God's word to his delight and desire to something else. Now, as we think about meditating in God's word, which is done because we delight in God's word, I want to ask you a question. The principle is right here. The principle of comparison. How much do you delight in God's word and take joy in God's word? Now, if I were to ask you, if I were to ask myself, if you were offered a Bible or if, if you were given the choice to not have the Bible, not you could never read the Bible again, or to have all of the money you would ever need for the rest of your life, which would you choose? Now, I know every one of you would say, oh, I would choose the Bible every time right? It's very easy to say that. What's that? You, you want both? Oh. More than you go. This is true. But that's not a very high standard, right? <laughs> not a high bar. If I were to ask you that, you would, <clears throat> of course, you would say, oh, I'd take, I would take the Bible. Now, the funny thing is, if that's the case, then why is it that we often choose other things like money, like other things that please us so quickly over the Bible when we have the Bible? Right? Of course, I would die for the Lord, but we don't live for God, right? It's, it's the same principle there. It's easy to say, it's easy to, to affirm that we would do thus and so in the extreme circumstance. But in the common circumstance... We don't. We don't. We neglect God's word in favor of other things. Yes, sir. Same principle, right? It's easy to go to the extremes, the extreme examples and say, oh, yeah, but... But if in the common examples, we're not following through and other things are taking up the time that we should be in God's Word, 
then, and we use those things as excuses to not be faithful to our, our meditation and study and reading of God's Word, what does that say then about... Now, remember, the principle of comparison. Six times we read that, right? How does that... What does that show if we compare ourselves, our desire for God's Word, our rejoicing in God's Word to those other things we delight in? If we... Listen now, if we sacrifice... God's word for other things that we delight in, does that not demonstrate that those things bring us more delight than God's word? Listen, it's just a reality. It goes back to what brings our heart joy. There's a lot of things that bring our, heart, our, our hearts joy. You know, getting a big lump sum of money unexpectedly brings our heart joy, <laughs> right? But the principle is a principle of comparison. So I just, I just set that forth to you. Where does that put your and my desire, delight, and rejoicing in God's Word? Where does that put it? Last thing I want us to see is in verse number 16 of the psalm. 119. And this will be the last thing we cover on this major theme. Look at verse 16 and verse 47. The emphasis I want you to look at is on the word will. Verse 16 says this, I will delight myself in thy statutes. Look at verse 47. And I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. Remember what I told you last week? In our common parlance, the word will is simply a, an expression of future. I will go to the store. But in scripturally, when the word will is used, it's referring to the volition a choice. If, if expressing future, we, the Bible would uses the term shall. Okay? It's a little bit different. So delighting in God's Word is a matter of the will. It is a choice. Well, how can you choose to feel a certain way? Right? How can you choose to feel a certain way? We think of delight and joy as something, as I said, that happens upon us, not a choice that we make. But this is where we're, we're, we're off. We, we, we err. In this way, this decision is similar to the decision to rejoice in the Lord. Did you know rejoicing in the Lord is a command? Sometimes we do not feel happy. Right? But God says rejoice. Well, how can I rejoice if I don't feel happy? All right, another. Sometimes we don't feel the feelings that are associated with love toward our spouse or even toward our children. But God says to love them. It's a command. I will love my spouse. Allison and I are not always on good terms. Sometimes we have conflict. Sometimes we disagree but I will love my spouse. Sometimes when we go to read the Word of God, sometimes we go to meditate upon it, 
The feelings that we want to be there are not there. I will delight in God's word. And this is where it comes and it intersects back with meditation. Engaging our mind. That's an act of the will. It's connected with delighting in God's word. How many of you remember the very useful little, uh, little sentence, the little uh, you know, maybe axiom or truism or whatever that you want to call it? Fact, faith, feeling. How many, how many of you remember that? Fact, faith, feeling. If you haven't, if you haven't put that in your mind and, and memorized that, that is so important. Fact comes first. What is true? What is not? Nothing else can be can, can go from can, can can happen except for that. What is true? What is not? Faith is our response to that truth. Feeling comes after. Right? Fact, faith, feeling. It's a good it's a good it's a good thing to remember when you're dealing with people that have like doubts about their salvation. Fact: Christ died for me. Faith: I have received Him. My trust is in Him. Feeling comes afterward. All right. Delighting in God's word is an act of the will and it is an act of faith because sometimes you need, you and I need to do it, must do it, though the feeling is absent. We meditate on God's word, though it's not a great joy of our heart because our joy, our joy kind of goes, our feelings kind of go up and down day by day. Sometimes we don't feel like it, sometimes we do. And I know all of you can relate to that reality. That's the feelings. But what faith does is faith, faith embraces this choice and says, I will delight in God's word. I am choosing to set my mind upon it. I am trusting God that this is what he wants me to do. And I'm trusting him that when I do that, that feeling will come later. So we don't, we do not give our mind and our heart in meditation to God's word because we always feel like it. We should do it because the Lord says to meditate on his word, to delight. We make a choice to do so. And that choice is an act of faith. It is a matter of the will. So I hope that I, and I hope that you, We'll take that choice seriously and we'll look at God's word and we'll say, Lord, fact, this is your word. Faith, you've told me I need to set my mind and heart on it. And Lord, I want to feel the joy that comes from having this word in my mind and heart at all times. Let's pray together.